0: What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, April the 10th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we've got a 10% roster overhaul that just occurred this week. The Dolphins signed seven players from the AAF, on top of a couple of more signings, plus the preseason schedule is out. Kenyon Drake raves about Brian Flores. Some Josh Rosen rumors circulate and the prospect of the day, all to get to. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast, however you get your podcast Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, or the new Himalaya Podcast app. It's great. Check it out. Also, follow me on Twitter at Winkful NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and check out lockedondolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for Dwayne Wade's final home game in Miami, the Locked On Heat podcast, and our national show, the Locked On NFL podcast with Matt Williamson. Our entire catalog is top shelf, top notch stuff. So check out the rest of the network too. But with that said, let's go ahead and jump right in. That's Well, I did have another one of those draft game type of segments planned out for today's show, but we can go ahead and kick that down the road and talk about not one, not two, not three, enter LeBron James here for the Miami Heat, seven new actual Miami Dolphins new to the roster, not talking about players that could be Dolphins. And actually, if you go beyond the AAF signings, the Dolphins have added nine players since I think it was Saturday was the first actual acquisition they made. So nine new players in tow for us to get to know. We're going to do that here in a second, but I want to start off here with the preseason schedule. They came out on Tuesday, and I know it's not much of a a news item, but here in mid-April, it is something and to kick off the Brian Flores tenure here with the Miami Dolphins, not really set in stone, but we do know when the opponents are, which games will be at home, and who they are against in those specific weeks. Week number one, and these first two weeks do have a caveat of a five-day window so they can schedule the games anywhere between Thursday and Monday night which we know the Dolphins won't be on Monday night football in all likelihood on the preseason and probably not in the regular season either but the week one game is at home against the Atlanta Falcons and that could be anywhere from August 8th through the 12th. I imagine it'll be a Saturday night kickoff at 730 like most of them are week number two they go on the road to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers August 15th through 19th. I don't know when the Bucs typically schedule their games in the preseason but I imagine that too will be a Friday or Saturday night game and then week number three they host the Jacksonville Jaguars in Hard Rock Stadium in Miami August 22nd that is a Thursday night kickoff on Fox so a national tv game for the Dolphins in the dress rehearsal game and then week number four August 29th or 30th which I believe always falls on a Thursday so I'm not sure why they have the two-day caveat there but week number four they will go to the New Orleans Saints to take on Drew Brees and company although it probably won't be Drew Brees in that game So the preseason is set. The regular season schedule should be coming out. It typically comes out the Thursday before the draft. And if that's the case, I'm probably not going to have my my source that gives me schedule information prior to the actual schedule being released on that Thursday night. He will be busy that day. If it's any other day, we'll bring it for you guys on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as on my Twitter account at Winkville NFL. And we'll have the breakdown of the schedule, tell you where the soft spots are, the scheduled losses, talk about where the dolphins can maybe take a run, We'll see what happens, but we'll have the scheduled preview episode for you guys when it comes out here in about a week or so. Let's go ahead and move on here and change subjects and talk about this Yahoo story that really, I don't think it's much of a story, but I got the alert on my phone, so I figured it was worth talking about. It was talking about Kenyon Drake's comments on SiriusXM Radio about Brian Flores and how people are already fired up about Brian Flores, the ultimate lip service that you get this time of year from players talking about the coach, the new program... And just about dollars to donuts every single year, you're going to see stories about a guy who is, quote, in the best shape of his life, end quote, or a guy who is, quote, light years better than he was last year, end quote. The typical training camp and off-season program lip service that really doesn't mean a lot. But that's where Kenyon Drake checks in here. And he's in a contract year. He probably wants some carries. He's probably going to be a good boy and really buddy up to Brian Flores and the coaching staff. But the headline is this, Kenyon Drake on Brian Flores, People are ready to run through a wall for him. And in this article, it talks about the radio appearance he made where he said that there's complete transparency and complete honesty that the coach has shown in the early going and noted that he's not alone when it comes to positive feelings about his new coach. Quote, it's interesting to see how everybody's already responded to it. It hasn't been necessarily him saying much because he doesn't really say a whole lot. He's just kind of has this air about him where people are already ready to run through a wall for him. So does that mean it's going to automatically translate onto the field on Sundays? No, of course not. But I guess it's better... Then the alternative, which would be guys already showing disinterest in day number one in the new program. It's the first day of school. Of course, people are excited about the new direction, the new team, and the new man in charge. That tends to be how these honeymoon phases go, at least in the early going. And then one last report that came in, I believe it was on Monday that I saw it, didn't get a chance to get to it on yesterday's podcast, but the Dolphins apparently are one of four teams that have contacted the Arizona Cardinals about the availability of Josh Rosen. Those teams the Washington Redskins, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Kind of a strange one there, although probably planning on looking past the future beyond Phillip Rivers because one day Rivers will be gone and the Chargers will have to replace their Hall of Fame-level quarterback. Is Josh Rosen that guy? Who knows? I don't think so. As far as the Dolphins' involvement in this, I tend to lean more towards the thought that Miami are calling the Cardinals... To gauge the level of interest they have in drafting Kyler Murray with the first overall draft pick, obviously you start that call off by talking about Josh Rosen. If it goes somewhere, you know that they're taking Kyler Murray number one overall and you can move on and plan your draft accordingly. If they don't want to give you an answer or scoff at a second round potential offer or proposal for Josh Rosen, then you know that they want to keep Rosen and they aren't drafting Kyler Murray. And then you can go from there and talk about trading up or staying put, going back, whatever it is. You have to figure out what happens with Kyler Murray if, like me, he's your only quarterback worth taking in this first round of this year's draft. So the Dolphins kicking around Josh Rosen. I just don't see it because I talked about this actually Previously on the Lockdown NFL podcast about a month ago, I just don't think his temperament, his personality jives with what the Dolphins have said they wanted at the position. A guy that can galvanize a locker room, a guy that can communicate things. And the reports are that last year, Josh Rosen maybe wasn't the best student in the classroom. That's not going to fly in this new regime in Miami. So I just don't think Josh Rosen fits with what the Dolphins want at the position and at the leader of the organization as far as the on-field product goes. Okay, so that is the news for this podcast, and we had some more news come down the pipeline throughout the week. And next here on the podcast, we're going to talk about the seven defunct players that joined the Dolphins roster from the AAF, the defunct AAF, that is. Here next, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Before we move on to the column up on LockedOnDolphins.com, some news coming in from Ian Rappaport about a draft visit the Dolphins have hosted on Tuesday afternoon. Jamal, Jamil Dean out of Auburn, the cornerback. We talked about him in the Combine episode. He's 6'1", he ran a 4.340, 40, and that's why he got on the episode because, as you'll recall, the Dolphins do like a long and fast cornerback at that position if we are to take the Patriots' prototype At its face value. And that's what Jamil Dean is. The Auburn cornerback had a workout and private visit with the Dolphins and also the Detroit Lions, so he is on the radar, as is probably the cornerback position, even though I tend to lean more towards the safeties being the more prominent position we need to focus on this year because Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald are not long-term answers, whereas the cornerback group has about four or five guys that potentially could be long-term answers. They have to play better, but they do have the youth on their side to make that happen. So Jamil Dean visiting the Dolphins. Let's go ahead and talk about nine players, that are now officially Dolphins as they make a bunch of acquisitions over the last few days, going to the AAF well and primarily the San Antonio Commanders well, getting five players from the San Antonio football team there in the AAF. And the Dolphins now sit 23 players. They have 67 on the roster. They are 23 players short of the 90 roster spots you are afforded before that training camp grind begins at the end of July and the preseason into August. So they're at 67 players. They have seven draft picks they have to make up in the couple of weeks in the end of April and no discernible interest in any of the remaining free agent market as we have seen throughout the course of free agency as the Dolphins basically went mute after the first couple of days. So that means 23 players they have to add even after this new addition of nine players and the AAF, the former AAF players, seven of them now makes a- up 10.4% of the Dolphins roster. That truly is the Cleveland Indians from the Major League movie. I don't want to call it tanking. I don't think it's tanking. I think it's repositioning for next season. But the Dolphins and winning this year probably do not go in the same sentence. Let's go ahead and meet these players and talk about if any of them has a chance to stick on the roster, not just for this year, but long term and be a part of the solution, not a part of the pre-solution that is 2019. The first one that I think has the best chance to make that happen is the linebacker, Formerly of the Packers, the Cowboys, and the Saints, Jerome Elliott, he played with the San Antonio Commanders. In 2014, he was an undrafted free agent with the Packers. He led the AAF with 7.5 sacks, had a pressure rate of more than 20% in the AAF. He's played 39 games in his career, has four NFL sacks, seven tackles for a loss, a fumble recovery, and a fumble forced. And you just watch the way he plays, the long arms, the quick get-off, the ability to kind of stack and shed. He looks a lot like Kyle Van Noy, and I got so much... Of this on Twitter yesterday, that I made the comparison to Kyle Van Noy, and everyone said that I'm outside of my mind. I'm taking a stretch or a reach here, talking about a player who might not even make the team. Yeah, I'm well aware of that. I'm telling you what the Dolphins are thinking when they look at a player like that. That's the idea where he could blossom into and become that player if it works out. That's where you want him to be. That's his best bet. That's what they'll try him out at. If it doesn't work, they'll cut him and they'll look for somebody else. But that's the idea and the thinking behind Jerron Elliott. The next player I like on this list is the defensive tackle, Joey. And I have no idea how to say it. MBU. Let's call it Mabu. I don't know. You tell me. He started off in 2015 as an undrafted free agent with the Falcons, bounced around to Washington, Indianapolis, and Green Bay before landing with the San Antonio Commanders this past offseason. And he does have some connections to the Dolphins' current staff. He was most recently in Green Bay, under new D.C. Patrick Graham with the Packers, although he did not make the team. He's six foot three, three 313 pounds, and he wants to crack that rotation inside with Devon Gottschalk and Vincent Taylor. Now, he did play his college ball at Houston, which I know it's kind of a stretch of a connection, but Chad O'Shea was, an, was a Houston Cougar himself, so that alumni status maybe keeps him close to the program and gives him a connection to the player in that way as well. So Joey Embu, I'm going to call it Embu. Running back Kenneth Farrow is up next. He was an undrafted free agent in 2016 to the then San Diego Chargers. He was on the New England Patriots 2018 practice squad before heading off to the AAF where he led the league with rushing yards and had four touchdowns in his own right. He did get cut from the Patriots last November halfway through their Super Bowl season there with the Patriots, but he's compactly built, 5'9", 220 pounds. He has a nose for the goal line, like we mentioned. He has 192 rushing yards in his career to go along with 13 catches and 70 yards in the passing game. But the big knock on him for me as far as his NFL usage, he only has 23 special team snaps. That's going to be the route he has to take to make the roster. Being the up guy in the punt team, being a gunner on kick coverage, that's what all these guys need to be doing finding out what Danny Crossman likes and making friends with him and getting on the roster through special teams. Up next, another linebacker, Tyrone Holmes. He was actually a draft pick back in 2016. The only guy on this list that was drafted from the Jacksonville Jaguars. He quickly bounced to Cleveland, then Kansas City, then the Jets, and then with the LA Chargers. He wound up on the San Antonio Commanders like everybody else on this list. And he has that same length and build for that Kyle Van Noy role. 6'4", 253 pounds. And despite being on five different NFL teams, the cup of coffee he got in the NFL was with the Cleveland Browns, where he had one sack and 15 career games played. He comes out of the University of Montana. Up next, a receiver not from San Antonio, wide receiver Reese Horn. He was an undrafted free agent in 2016 to the Colts. He went to the University of Indianapolis, which I didn't even know was a thing and then went to the Titans after he got cut from the Colts. There's not much to know about this guy. I couldn't find much about him online, other than the fact that he is six three and 216 pounds and probably plays the X position. Let's, let's be honest about this. He's probably not going to make the roster. Up next, another guy that has a long shot, because if I can't find you on Google, you're probably not going to make the roster. Offensive tackle Jared Jones-Smith, and he spells Jared very strangely. He was an undrafted free agent to the Houston Texans last year. He too wound up on the San Antonio AAF team. He's a huge, huge body, 6'7", 320 pounds, and an offensive line that needs all the bodies it can take. So they take Jared Jones-Smith, along with the last player on the list, the first guy that was signed, another offensive tackle, Michael Dunn. He was an undrafted free agent out of Maryland on the 2018 Jacksonville Jaguar squad. He played with the Birmingham Iron of the AAF, and he does have one-year experience under Pat Flaherty, the Dolphins' new offensive line coach, playing there. With Flaherty, at least up and through training camp until the season started and he was eventually cut. He is six foot five, 295 pounds. And to be honest, I've been told his tape in the AAF was very wanting. So, not encouraging news there for Michael Dunn making the roster, but he gets a chance to make this rebuilding squad that we have here in Miami. Dolphins added two more players on top of all the AAF guys. Ricardo Lewis was a fourth round draft pick of the Cleveland Browns when they went ham on receivers and drafted four players to the wide receivers room in the 2016 season. He was the one guy that actually made some progress and got on the field and had some production for the Browns. A neck injury kept him out of the game for the entirety of the 2018 season. He gets a one-year deal with the Dolphins to try to resurrect things and he is a Miami native So I'm happy for Ricardo Lewis that he gets another crack at the NFL with his hometown team. He played 890 offensive snaps in those two years and 377 special team snaps. So he does have a chance to get onto the field on special teams. He had 45 catches and 562 yards. In his NFL career and the last addition, number nine, the most bizarre one the Brazilian born Durval Neto. And I know I probably pronounced that horribly because he's Brazilian and that's probably not how you say it in Brazilian, but he is a stout defensive tackle, 310 pounds, and he has elite testing metrics. He can jump through the roof, he can do a backflip standing up. I think it was like a 7.03 three cone time, so he has really impressive testing numbers from that side of things. And the coolest part about him is he gives the Dolphins an 11th practice squad spot on their roster. He's exempt from the 10 practice squad spots normally allotted to any team because of this international pathway program. He comes onto the roster and gets to learn the NFL game in a very, very special way, an exempt roster special way. So what does all this mean? This basically is just a glorified, undrafted free agent pool. We knew Miami had to add 33 bodies or whatever it was before all these signings happened. They get it done here, about a third of the way done. They're going to have to do more after the draft because... They need 90 players, and these guys will fill out that back end of the roster. Hopefully one of them sticks. I think Jerron Elliott will stick. I think that Ricardo Lewis has a chance to be a fifth receiver and special teamer. But beyond that, we're probably looking at a bunch of guys that wind up either on the practice squad or back on the street once September rolls around. All right, we've got one more segment here on this Wednesday podcast. We're going to talk about the prospect of the day, his Move the Sticks interview on the podcast there. We'll get to that next on Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked on Fins. got some top shelf content coming for you guys tomorrow on the website and we'll talk about it on the podcast as well. I teased it for today, but we had to bump the content because of all these signings from the AAF and otherwise, but Kevin Dern's piece will make its debut. Miami's seven options for the front seven in this April's draft. You do not want to miss that. Kevin puts a lot of time into that and a lot of knowledge into that piece as well. And speaking of defensive players that have a chance to get onto this roster, I've been talking about him for a long time now. You guys know he's one of my favorites in this draft class, but he just did the Move the Sticks podcast and talked to Daniel. Jeremiah, and what a fun interview it was. I'm talking, of course, about today's prospect of the day here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, safety Jonathan Abram out of Mississippi State. He is projected by some to go in the second round, by a few to go in the first round. I still think he's an option to trade back in the first round and take him right there. And you'll notice this trend of players that I like in the draft. And a lot of times they are safeties because safeties tend to have a certain temperament about them. We've seen what Jamal Adams has done for the Jets defense there in New York. We've seen what Buda Baker can do on the Cardinals defense. We saw what Derwin James did last season and Minka Fitzpatrick and Jesse Bates and all these safeties that have an impact and a reason I like these certain guys is because they are temperature changers. And what we mean by temperature changers is they have a certain mentality, a love for the game, an affection for the game, and an accountability that makes everybody else around them kind of elevate the play of their own game because they're kept accountable by the guys around them, by their peers, by guys that want to be there that aren't just doing it for a job. And that was one of the things that Abram said in the interview talking about this process and why some guys do fail as professionals because. A lot of times he thinks that players can get contempt in what they're doing and just kind of go by the wayside and, and take it more as a job and not have fun playing. That's not Jonathan Abram. He's loved the game since he said he was eight years old. He was itching to get on a football field before he was finally allowed to play by his mother at age 10. And you can just see the confidence, or I guess hear the confidence, coming off of his voice. Like we talk about with his play style, his temperament matches that play style. 100 miles an hour, energetic, bouncing around, hard to keep himself into his chair during these interviews. And one of the things I liked most about what he said was Jeremiah asked him what his favorite thing to do on the defense was. And Mississippi State would ask him to come down and take away the number one option the offense had, whether it was a running back, a receiver, a tight end, covering up in line, going out wide on a receiver, coming inside the slot for a receiver, or taking a back out of the backfield. His job was to come down and erase the other players or the other team's top player and get him frustrated because these top players in college typically run through their gamut of games and they dominate, they can't be stopped and then once they find a guy that can stop them like a Jonathan Abram they get frustrated, it ruins the entire offense and Abram said that was his favorite part of playing the game, that's the kind of guy I want, especially in this defense that's so matchup based and going to ask the safeties to come down and cover in man coverage, I think that he would be a great fit in that role and not just in that role, he has some center field ability in him as well he can play single high safety and if you go off his PFF college grades they say he's phenomenal when he's in the box and not very good at single high and somebody actually mentioned this his name is Firaz Modawala at Firaz Motowala on Twitter. He mentions the grades of playing single high versus the box. And Daniel Jeremiah replied to that tweet and said, when you find out what he was asked to do when he played as the high safety, you'll have a clearer picture. So clearly he was asked to do a lot of stuff on that defense. He talked about his favorite player to watch or the guy he wants to play the most with because he can learn the most from him is Tyron Matthew, the honey badger, because of his versatility, playing up high, playing in the nickel, playing down in the box, going out wide and playing cornerback. And Jeremiah and Brooks on the podcast, after he hung up the phone or or ended the interview, talked about what the Chargers could do with him and Derwin James because they have these two safeties that would be interchangeable that can go from single high to box safety. That's what I want in Miami. I want two safeties to go along with Minka Fitzpatrick as the other one that can be interchangeable and work two different positions from opposite sides of the field. That gives you so much disguise on defense, and that's why I harp on this safety position being such a high position of need because in two years when McDonald and Jones are gone, Fitzpatrick will be limited if there isn't a good player next to him that can help him do everything that makes him the special player that he is. Again, he talked about practice and film and the locker room and the camaraderie and how much fun he has doing all that stuff. Man, that sounds like Minka Fitzpatrick. I think you draft that guy. You put them together. They're going to become best buddies. They're going to make everybody else around you better. They're going to make the secondary go from good to one of the best in the league. That's my prospect of the day. That's the guy I want in the first round more than anybody else. I hope it's a trade back. And Jonathan Abram, he is a surefire can't miss player in my book because of his mentality, because of his work ethic, because of his love for the game, and the fact that he's a damn good football player too. Okay, that's going to be my time on today's show. Once again, check out Kevin's article dropping tomorrow up on LockedOnDolphins.com. If you want to get to know more about the players coming over from the AAF as well as Durval Neto and Ricardo Lewis, check out LockedOnDolphins.com and read the play- the piece about the players coming over from the defunct AAF. As for today's podcast... We're going to go ahead and get out of here. If you have a smart speaker, just tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull us up right away for your daily dose. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or the new Himalaya Podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.